Welcome to the Community Development Podcast. A podcast dedicated to community development practice and approaches, sharing our learning and connecting the workforce. My name is Russell. housekeeping before we crack on with a, a really fascinating discussion I've been wanting to do for quite some time and we've had in the diary any number of occasions and cancelled and rearranged. Last podcast we did was recorded in June up in Brixton in South London with Steffi Gamow from the Impact Hub in Brixton. Really fascinating discussion that was looking at gentrification, organising, but where they offer sort of co-working spaces that empowers self-employed people in Brixton and, and, and the wider borough of Lambeth, but can also have a, a gender-fine impact themselves and the tensions that come with that. Really, really fascinating discussion, well worth a visit. For that, we had a discussion with Sean Pierce, Dr. Sean Pierce, from uh, Wizard at Cardiff University, where we're looking at some of the distinctions across the sort of devolution divide between Wales and England around community development policy and practice. And she came up with this, as always, well identified a couple of really fascinating terms around sort of pockets of resistance where this community development being done that hasn't been co-opted by the state or different levels of the state. I got this image of people holding out against this tide. And I had in mind when we were speaking about that, these two individuals. So I'd like to introduce Dave Horton. Hello, Dave. Hello. And via Skype in North Wales, Kerry Cunnington. How are you, Kerry? Good, thanks, yeah. Really good. I would guess that you two, and you can explain kind of where you're based and who you work for and, and the sort of work involved in in a moment. But I, I, I had you two in mind, amongst others, a couple of other people, but certainly you two came to mind and your organisations came to mind when Seanad was talking about those pockets of resistance. I imagine we will cover Communities First at some point, that big tackling poverty programme we had in Wales that ran for sort of, what, 15, 16 years. The area you work in, Dave, was in the programme till the very, very end, which is the end of March, That's early right, this yeah. year, 2018. Kerry, your area left it, or the programme left you. Yeah. In <laughs> yeah, more yeah. sort of 20, 2012. So 2012, yeah. a little bit more of a, a longer period to adjust to sort of life after these big wieldy state programs. But before we get yeah. sort of tucked into some of that, Dave, where are you based? It'd be great to know a little bit about your personal background as well, how yep. you found yourself doing this sort of work. Um, and then Kerry, uh, likewise um, yourself, but Dave? Yeah, no worries. So I'm based in Ely and Cairo, which is a large, very large housing estate on the west of Cardiff. Largest housing estate in Wales, population of about 26,000 at the last count. Uh, Well-known kind of area, I guess, of Cardiff and even further afield. Um, Me personally, I actually came to Cardiff. I'm a Bristol lad originally, very proud Bristolian, but very happy now to live in Ely. But I came to this in a slightly roundabout fashion. I actually came to Cardiff to study a degree in physics, bizarrely. And so at the end of my second year in physics, I had a, a, a real sense of calling or vocation, if you like, to community and youth work. So I then went into youth work, worked in Lanedden on the other side of the city for seven years. Did a bit of work for Bernardo's in Ely. I worked in Cape Town in South Africa for six months in a township doing some youth and community work. Studied youth and community work and eventually finished my master's in community regeneration. I've been working in Ely for about 12 years, so I came in to the Community's First programme about 12 years ago, uh, and we set ACE up in 2011, but I'm sure we'll go into this in a minute, I might let, let um, Kerry introduce himself. Yeah, cool. So, my background, born and bred in the area in Blaenafistiniog, I fell into community development in 2006, I think, under the Community's First. There were a group of us youngsters, youngsters at the time, a youngish, and we were offered work in the area to 
they like to give it we're getting paid for giving a shit but anyway it's 10 years uh, 10 years down the line now and company Brofistiniog is like an umbrella organisation which I work for now sporadically um, for 12 other social enterprises in the area most which have come from the Communities First uh, project um, yeah 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 so we're like the umbrella organisation and all the other um, they'll hate, hate me saying this, the social enterprises are the Wellingtons really down on the ground doing all the kind of messy work and the good work and we're like the umbrella trying to, trying to keep the sun off. No, that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> no, that's good, I like that metaphor. Yeah, so well, just to be to be clear, you're based in Blyne for Stinyog, people will recognise that yeah. if, if, they, if, they, if they know of the town as a, very much based on the slate industry, late 18th yeah, century yeah. into so the 19th Blyne century. So Blyne was like the heart of the industrial revolution, we like to think, it was like in the 1900s, employee, there were like 14,000 people in the town. By now, it's uh, down to 5,500. 5, um, so it's like there's been massive deindustrialization and it's left a community. Well, not a community, an economy devastated. The community is still strong. Um, and that's the basis of all the community development work that's going on now, really, that sense of community and resilience. And, and even though then I don't like the the words that are bounded, banded around like resilience and stuff. Now it's like they've been hijacked, but it's true. Um, you know, it's 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 an area that's suffering economically, but we've still got that sense of community that is driving us um, for towards you know, yeah, working together for, for a better. There's, there's really interesting parallels there with um, Ely and Cairo, where we are in Cardiff. Um, as I said, it's a, yeah. it, historically it was all known as one community of Ely, but it's now two ward areas, Ely and Cairo, um, two political ward areas. And historically, Ely was built after the First World War um, under a garden village sort of principles for people coming back from the First World War and Cairo after the Second World War and the Bevan's housing schemes. Uh, and yeah. and built on very strong sort of employment opportunities that were based in the community, mostly around manufacturing. Yeah. So you had a, a large brewery, Ely Brewery, uh, one of the biggest paper factories in Europe, Ely Paper Mill, which employed 450 people right up into the middle of the 90s. You had a fizzy drinks yeah. factory, a, a Chivers jam and pickle factory, and then you had Ely Hospital, which is another huge employer in the area. There was good, well-paid work within the community. It was accessible for people. It was well integrated into the community. You have stories like the paper, the paper, the paper mill used to um, uh, hold Christmas parties and have a, a, a sports field and a swimming pool and very, very sort of integrated into community and, and part of community life. And all those employers, all those employment opportunities left yeah. the area in the space of kind of 20 years from the 80s onwards, yeah. and you're left with this legacy of lower paid service sector employment based in the city centre, very insecure, often part-time, not giving people enough hours to make a living. And all this is, is part of this story that we hear about a lot at the moment of, of in-work poverty, and actually the situation has changed, feels like it's changed fairly rapidly, from, from the primary problem being unemployment to being one of actually um, low paid employment. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. That rings completely true with here, yeah. and the parallels are massive. I remember coming down to see you in Dusky Forge and, and feeling the work you were doing was exactly, you know, the, the parallels were amazing. Yeah. Um, but regards yeah, yeah. that where we're at now with jobs and low-paid work and in-work poverty, it's a massive issue yeah. um, here now. Yeah. Um, you know, the tourism industry and all that focus that's been over the last from Welsh Government, especially North West Wales and, and areas like Bynafistinic, the focus on tourism. But it hasn't been long term, even though it's been to some extent a success story. The negatives at the moment, I would argue strongly, are outweighing the, the positives. There isn't a long term strategy towards this tourism development and the jobs that are coming with it and 
the knock-on effect for housing and stuff as well. In a town of of 5,000, we did a quick research yesterday, we're talking about 150 Airbnbs and stuff, um, so, yeah. and that's, that's like, spiralled over the last... Sorry, I'm, I'm digressing a bit. No, no, it's really interesting. It's, it's, all, the, all this stuff is kind of connected. And, I think that's one of the interesting things, isn't it? And I think... So I mean, I, I kind of identify your area, Kerry, as, as you know, as a, as a yeah. rural area, albeit you know you've talked yeah. about industry, yeah. and I think there's some interesting kind of historical commentary. Well, well, well I'd, I'd argue straight away that we've got lots of urban problems here as well. Where Cumney Broad covers is like a population of ten thousand, so there are rural on the outskirts of Blaine Festina, there's like the central hub, if you like, the the town, and there are lots of urban issues here. But then five miles down the road is Trouserveneth, where people haven't got access to, to basic services like shops and stuff like that. So we're tackling all sorts of problems, but there's a lot of urban issues here against drugs and crime and stuff that that's growing now because of poverty, you know. Um, I think it's a valid point to make because I think, as I said, looking through some of the, it almost sounds like you know, it's, it's classical kind of writing, talking about rural Wales. It's people like Herbert Fleur, it's people like Yorath Peat. You know, we're talking in the 19 teens, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. That rural urban distinction, certainly in a Welsh context, for some people was arbitrary and it was it was over sentimental. What they were saying was actually, yeah, yeah, even in yeah. places where agriculture is important, and Dave, you've talked about brewing mm. and paper. <clears throat> These aren't the industries necessarily that immediately come to mind when we talk about the economy, certainly in Wales or certainly in working class areas. It tends to get a little bit kind of focused on steel and coal. Yeah. And I, you know, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then maybe slates, the, related, yeah. the related sort of docks. Don't forget slates, don't forget slates. No, indeed. Roof the world up there, didn't you? But I think even on a smaller scale, people like Yorif Pete were arguing around the need to mobilise and collectivise around what were rural industries, agriculture. Yeah. Certainly slate would have, been, would have been one of them, tin, copper, you know, and, 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 and other industries like that, and they're a bit, bit sort of smaller. So I think sometimes we can exaggerate the distinction between urban and rural. Although, actually, no, I'm going to contradict myself here, and I won't edit this out, actually, because I usually do. We perhaps don't, as practitioners on the ground, like you talked about, you, people kind of in, in, in the Wellingtons, Kerry, what tends yeah. to happen is maybe the policymakers try to make mm. some, arbit- some some of these distinctions and government Absolutely. bodies tend to do. Mm. And it's part of this, I'm sure it's well-intended, it's well-meaning, but it's around trying to compartmentalise and put some sort of order and sort of coherence into things that, that just makes it feel a bit easier, mm. particularly in that traditional maybe sort of managerial style yeah, yeah. that I think has yeah. kind of taken over. It's a bit paternalistic when communities yeah, first yeah. went, yeah. telling people they're better off in employment. But finding out that they're I mean, not. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head with co- co- oh God, I can't even say the word. Compliment. Co- co- what do you call it? We put things in boxes. Compartmentalisation. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it, isn't it? When people try and do that, then everything breaks down with regards to the connection that is between everything. You have to look at it as a whole. But that, that that's taken away. But once people make that decision for you or try to define something as clearly as that, where lots of communities are messy, aren't they? I wonder if that's product of the sort of deficit model of looking at things as well, that government policy always focuses on the the deficit, the problems in a community, and therefore sort of how they differ from each other in that. But actually, a lot of our similarities are to do with our assets and our opportunities and and people. Another thing that struck me, the great similarity between uh, what Kerry's just described in terms of Blaine Festinio Ganili, they're not particularly transient communities. There's a real stability of people who are there often for their entire lives. Um, they have family yeah. going back generations in the area and a sort of underlying sense of community still and, and sense of solidarity and a willingness to get stuck in and, and 
and to contribute to community That's life. Absolutely, Dave. That, that really brings true about the relative success we've had here because of Community First was that sense of community in general and the, the fact that we trusted each other. Community trusted the community workers and I'm not saying that outside interference is not always good. It is good if it's... It can be well-meaning, but it can also be... But that sense of community is key to community Absolutely. development and community um, work. I wonder if one of the reasons we've emphasised the difference between rural and urban is because we haven't focused on people. It is ultimately about people, and people bring the, bring the same energy and passion and gifts and sometimes problems and challenges um, in, in, in any community. You know, there are similarities if you focus on on developing people and and um, solidarity and cooperation, those challenges and yeah. opportunities are the same anywhere in many ways. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the physical Absolutely. resources and limitations that are different, I think. And also I think perhaps, again, I, and I posit this and you may disagree or agree, the other external is then is the influence of government and, yes. and, and funders and programmes to that, to that nature. So going back to doing some reading and prep for this, it, it, to my mind, it feels as if in the 70s there becomes this understanding or recognition that there's this hidden poverty existing in rural, rural, rural parts, in Wales, England, and Wales for that matter. But where you have this sort of chocolate box, cricket green perhaps, image in England, where you've got industry such as in Slate in, in, in somewhere like Brofastiniog, there was an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper and, and identify that it wasn't just for access to services or proximity to services, that there were some of the problems, that, social problems that you've, you've, you've touched on, Kerry. And so you yeah. get this, certainly in Wales, you had the Development Board for Rural Wales get set up with a, with a remit for you know, growth in these areas. And that was the parlance of the time, indeed it, it, it still is. But then you get the third sector and other parts of civil society begin to go, hang on a minute, there is stuff going on in these rural areas. So I sense in terms of policy and understanding and awareness, there was a lag to urban areas such as where you're based, Dave. And then you get Child Poverty Action Group commissioning research. You get the Department of Environment then under a Conservative government in the early 80s looking. Archbishop of Canterbury commissions inquiry into sort of rural areas. And so you end up with a a growing awareness that there is is hidden poverty. It it gets obscured by the stats. And I think what's interesting, Community First gets an absolute hammering all too often, both now and and, and while the programme is around. But to be fair, when it started, the Welsh Index of Multiple Deprivation, there were cruder statistics at that point as well. They, mm. they were refined and improved and much more detailed in subsequent editions. But they recognised that actually, yeah, if we just go based on stats, we're only going to get the same old kind of valleys, coastal, admittedly, sort of North Wales coast, but urban areas, because you've got the critical mass and because of the way the indices were, were created, was going to favour, if that's the right word, those areas. But that there was a recognition, nonetheless, that we need to have some areas of rurality because we know there are issues there that the statistics are going to conceal. Mm-hmm. So you had these four deep rural partnership areas. You had areas such as so yours coming into the programme, caring, things like that. And there was an opportunity yeah. to kind of recognise that there was some distinctiveness mm. in some of that geography and, and, and probably demography. Yeah, but, but then the, there was only one ward in Blenheim, we were supposed to work in in a, in a town of five thousand and four wards, and there was no way we were going to listen to that. If we'd have sticked to that, there's only poverty in this certain ward, because that's what the index has identified was absolutely bonkers, and we never adhered to it, and that was part of our success. Success, I hate saying that because it's not successful. There's a long way to go, yeah. but I think we've all learned that with the right level of government funding or support, not necessarily funding, to, to, to trust communities to like people like Dave was saying, the answers are in the communities. Mm. But what, whatever's written, you have to live and work in that community to, to understand the, the 
anyway. I think part of the problem yeah. with Community yeah. First was it, it forced um, a particular approach to identifying what community you're working with. So, I mean, similarly, yeah. with Kerry, we never saw the boundaries as rigid. But the danger yeah. was that yeah. it, it both brought together probably smaller, more dispersed rural communities into sort of uncomfortable yeah. alliances that then struggled to kind of identify the local dynamics and or, yeah. or it kind of split communities that were naturally kind of united or, or closer together. So it kind of created these false, sometimes these false boundaries or... And I think it was just a bit too rigid in that sense. And, and again, that was, that, was a bit, that was one of the big tensions within communities first, wasn't it? it was how, how much power really ultimately you gave to communities to define who they were and what they wanted to achieve and, and where their opportunities well, and assets yeah, we were. We were quite arrogant here, yeah, I think. We're like, we're, even though it's like a kind of depressed area, it's quite a cocky and a stoic community. And it was like, we're not listening to you. We know. Because our... our um, Bowie and Rio, where we were supposed to live, literally the line went through the centre of the town. It was like looking over the cross a little stream, saying, you're not allowed to come to this end. And that's when I first got a taste of what silos and bureaucracy and stuff was, and that doesn't ring true with communities. Communities don't identify with any kind of strategy or any kind of, you know, and even agencies to some extent, they just want support and they just want... No, I, I agree fund- fundamentally with what you just said there, Kerry, in terms of sort of people's identification with strategies and the, probably the same applies to ward boundaries and everything else. Yeah. I'm interested from, from your point of view, Kerry, given that you're based in Blinder, but you cover that wider sort of broad, uh, you know, Welsh term yeah. that it doesn't helpfully translate into English, but it's that kind of recognisable, distinct region or area, isn't it? Yeah, it's that community of communities in a way, you know. We had someone from the Kaniki Trust come up recently and doing this new thing, one with the towns stuff, Yeah. which is kind of, in theory, is a great scheme about getting to the stats, you know, and coming right down to towns through Wales. But then it's hard in Wales because, like this thing of community of communities, you know, if you break that blind as a town, but Trouxvenith and the area is part, also part of that town we had a bit of a difficulty of you know you need to break it down even further <laughs> in a way it's a it's a difficult one this uh, is we like the model i don't think the model would work for for wales to some extent i'm not, I'm not sure this is the understanding welsh place work isn't it yeah yeah, 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 sorry, yeah, yeah. I went to the, the seminar last year where it was essentially being pitched to Wales, if you like, based on the understanding Scottish place model. I know there's a lot yeah. of sort of merit and value in it, but the transferability, mm-hmm. as you exactly pointed out, was a concern. Because Wales isn't an urban country to anywhere near the same extent as Scotland is, uh, or, or certainly parts no, of Scotland. exactly. Uh, parts of Scotland are particularly urban as well, of course, but... Um, Sorry, going back to the, the question I was going to ask is that, is that well, no, it, it, that point is relevant because I went back to, to some of the work that Alan Twelve Trees has, has written about sort of community work and community practice and rural context, drawing on some of the work of Paul Henderson, this theory suggests that you're either able to work from a distance and you're almost forever working from a distance because of, of scale and, and area geography, that you can, despite that, maybe choose which issues or which communities or which areas or which groups you do some sort of more focused but indirect work or you just get involved in a direct sense but you spread perhaps very, very, very thinly. And I'm just kind of interested in a rural context where you find yourself... Um, sorry, I've got a bit of an issue with this rural thing. I don't find that... I don't see ourselves as rural. But obviously, the, the area we cover, areas of it are rural. But but that, what's different with us, I suppose, with that question is that we work with enterprises that are based in them rural areas. So in Trausvenid, you've got Trausnewid. In Kreuzer, which is like 80 people, you've got Cavillion, Kreuzer, Mentor, Llamrothan, 
which is like 400 people. They've got their own shop. and So they're already there, established, doing work. All we can do is support that work, in yeah. a way, if that makes any sense at all. That makes perfect sense. But then, okay, okay, so in Trousford, which is furthest away, the furthest village away from Airbnb services in Gwynedd, that what we can do from here is, like, there's a shop here that we go there on a Saturday and open a shop in the village hall so that the shoe shop or something does a little... So we can work together like that. Does that make sense? Like the butcher, we can have a pop-up shop in the village hall in South Venice every other Saturday. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes so sense. So we can have yeah, take no. an overview in a way. Key to what you're saying there is we're trying to establish broadcast festiniog, mm. which is, it's not there yet, but it's like digital community broadcasting. At the moment, we're just doing a series of community films, but showing what's going on in each community, from the rural to the kind of urban, like Blyner, but, so, so, and what links everyone together in that kind of way, and what are the issues, and what are the, it doesn't seem it when you go and look at it now online, but but from a community level, it's really working. People are talking to each other through through Facebook and stuff, but in a positive way. You know, linking it to some of the theory that in Henderson's typology, that's more of a, to my mind, that's the second one, and it's that it's that sort of focused but indirect work. So you're just those enablers and you're getting involved as and when required, but it's working through those people who are much more kind of connected on the ground in the individual. Just in a film with a gymnastics club, let's just show what's going on. But since then, the gymnastics clubs want to establish as a social enterprise. Yeah. The rugby club wants to work with the gymnastics club from another village, and we want to start a sports association for the area. So it's digressing again, but it, it, it's... Um... Well, no, it's not, but it's, it's, it's facilitating. So you, where you're able to find that agency then, where people are geared... Yeah. The focus is gymnastics, but they're interested in the other things succeeding as well, I guess. I think what's interesting is that in that, that focused indirect, indirect work, again, using Henderson's typology you've kind of formalised the bit that sits over it in terms of Cumney Bra organisation. That's the idea. We're not there yet, but that is the idea. That is the kind of... I suppose, though, Dave, you can probably, you know, have an afternoon, maybe walk around your entire patch, maybe it'll push, certainly cycle around it in a... In a, in a yeah, relatively sure, straightforwardly. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of population... It's huge, yeah. I mean, is it, and, and in some ways we have similar challenges in that there's a, there's a, there's a tension between there being a sense of identity, so there's a strong sense of... I think for a lot of people that I'm from Ely. But on the other hand, um, you can live a couple of miles away from someone else who lives in Ely in, in what feels like quite a different bit of the estate. So there's still a sense that there's a lot of co- communities within the community to be kind of rallied. Yeah. And to, so, so some of the challenges, I guess, are similar. You just haven't got this, quite the same sort of geographic mm. spread element to it. But it can still feel like you're working in such a large area there's different sort of aspects of that and different different smaller geographical locations within that with some often with different socioeconomic challenges and mm. different opportunities some areas are well resourced in terms of community buildings others are, are more isolated from those opportunities the other thing i think is really interesting talking about urban rural and some of the similarities and tensions rural communities are often seen as feeling very marginalized from power base and where decisions are made and where they're sort of yeah the socioeconomic sort of centre is or where the resources are and, and, and that's seen as a sort of geographic issue but I would say that it, it's, it's possible to feel something very similar in a community like Ely which despite being in a capital city is marginalised from where the decisions are made and where the resources are um, because of its socioeconomic circumstances uh, and I think we've kind of underplayed that similarity as well we've kind of focused on the geographic distance from decision making and from but actually there's an equal sense of uh, 
detachment and separation from where decisions are made and from where the politics happens and where the power is, even when you're three miles, three miles from Cardiff Bay. Yeah. When I was down in Cardiff, I felt like that, exactly that, when you showed me around and you raised that and it, and it hit me quite powerfully then, than what you just said, and I... I got a grasp of that when I was last down in Cardiff. Yeah, yeah and I think that's, that's again, it's a, it's a national and it's an international problem, isn't it? It's this detachment from a representational type of democracy that's become very distant from people's everyday, not just everyday problems, but their everyday energy and efforts and the things they do for themselves and for each other and for their community to make um, life easier and better for each other. In a kind of perverse, I like that. <laughs> I think it's been that success, that detachment and being quite far away, it's given us a freedom. And also a kind of sense of, I don't know, let's do this. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? They're Almost a, rebe- a rebelliousness. Yeah, rebellion, but also a sense of we're going to have to do this for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we do need some resources, okay. And and we need, no, we don't, not that we need our fair share. We need our resources back. <laughs> you know, yeah. what, we, what we've paid in, yeah. we want it back. We don't want you uh, p- putting it all into big private capital. We want you to support our efforts. That can be frustrating, definitely. But Attachments also can be liberating. Absolutely. It's a (laughs) catch-22. Yeah. I think we're some of the better placed communities to rebuild civil society. And I think it's a a national problem. I don't actually think that's an issue that just affects communities like ours in terms of, um, you know, communities a bit more disadvantaged economically. We have an international global problem of detachment from a particular type of representational democracy that's become very distant from everyday life. But I think our communities are the ones where you're starting to see the reaction to that and people rebuilding their own approaches to things, acknowledging their own strengths, acknowledging their own assets and opportunities and rebuilding a different type of democratic and political engagement that's much more participatory, much more... It is about seizing power a little bit. Amen to that. You end up getting getting into some interesting (laughs) conversations and some slightly uncomfortable conversations where part of your agenda is you're saying, actually, our community is one that's been treated for too long as if it has nothing to offer. It's just a problem that needs solving on the edge of the city. None of those solutions have really quite worked, but it's seen as a problem. And when you come along and say, well, actually... We believe people have something to contribute and they should contribute that. And not only do they have the ability to contribute, but actually there's a certain sense where they have a responsibility to contribute. You can sometimes yeah. get dangerously close to feeling like you're, you're being a little bit Ian Duncan Smith. <laughs> but there's a very conservative, I, I would say, a way of looking at that idea of personal responsibility that's very punitive and very... But I think what we're saying is very different. It's actually people, and I've got any number of individual examples of this, of people who have received the message in life that they have nothing to contribute, who discover if they're put in the right context very quickly that they have something very important to contribute and that people value that and that they can be community builders and shapers and and that actually that's where the gold happens, that's where the magic happens. And I I visited Dusty Forge. Bingo, absolutely, I agree 100%. And I visited Dusty Forge a couple of weeks ago and met somebody who yeah. was agoraphobic, had barely left the house ever, you know, would leave kind of at night time just so not to meet people and yeah. and was now running the community shop. Yeah, and she would be quite open about that. And the different things happen as, you, as you're somewhere long enough and, you, and you, you do this stuff for a period of time. First of all, you can have those conversations a bit uncomfortable. As a group of people, earn the right to say a bit of uncomfortable stuff about actually we do expect people to take some responsibility and that's a positive thing. 
and we're yeah. in this it's a solid you know and the other thing is that's not an individualistic thing at all in the sort of conservative no it's a family thing it's yeah, a, it's, you, you know you're when you're talking about it's like a family, a family exactly you're trying to create a, trust a family thing, and it's a trust thing it's community isn't it yeah it's, it's community yeah and a lot of the people that the individuals that you'll have met in the dusty forge will talk about it feeling like an it's, it's another bit of their family it's an extended family yeah but the other thing that happens is people become quite comfortable to share their stories in a context where they're, they're valued and they can share some very things that you would think would be quite private and around real mental health struggles and, and the like, you end up with this culture where people will quite openly share that mm. and the journey they've been on. And then, you, and then you start getting, you know, it's kind of people influencing each other and inspiring each other and encouraging each other and you get a bit of kind of momentum behind it. And I think that's what we're looking yeah. for. I'm not sure we're quite there, but we've got yeah. some examples yeah, yeah. to think of where that's happened. That's just the people thing. That doesn't matter if it's in a big city or whether no, it's in... Exactly. I think that's the thing. No, I mean, yeah. it's the same. Slick quarry village. People want to... Um, do something with their lives that they think is meaningful they want to contribute if they get the chance to do that they will do it and the message we always try and give is every single person has something to contribute and that if, if someone is unable to contribute for any reason we all lose out as a result so yeah. every person counts sort of yeah. mentality yeah. yeah and Kerry I'm conscious you need to get away I'm kind of interested that one of your projects uh, one of your enterprises should I say Kerry is the uh, yeah. is a community on pub isn't it in the village is it in Clanfest in York? Fantastic, yeah. yeah. The Penguin Arms, yeah. The Penguin Arms, club, yeah. yeah. Where people don't go for a pint anymore in the village, they go to look after their shares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the stockbroker belt of uh, Brofist in York, is it? That's <laughs> Because half the village owned the pub, you see, so when yeah. they go for a pint, they just re enlist. You know, Great stuff. Re-enlist. Absolutely. Keeping wealth local. Dave, yeah, you're yeah. based at the Dusty Forge. Yep. Which had a very notorious reputation, it has it to be yeah. said, in, yeah. in Ely, but I didn't realise quite how old that pub was. Yeah, um, I mean, well, the, the actual the current building was built in about somewhere between 1900 and 1910, but the original forge has been there yeah. hundreds yeah. of years yeah. too. I mean, there's, there's, there's photos going back to the middle of the 19th century. And I think drawings and sketches going back into the previous century before that. So mm-hmm. it's a very old building with a lot of history. Yeah, it was a pub up until the nine, somewhere in the 90s when it was closed because um, of various <laughs> problems that we were having there. We don't serve beer there anymore, but we do brew some occasionally. Looking- Can we sell some of our beer to, to Kerry, maybe, to the pub? Absolutely, yeah, take, yeah. Take a couple of barrels up. I'm kind of interested in this concept of these third places that Ray Oldenburg talks about, which are away from home and the hearth, away from the workplace but they're, they're great levellers. They have an inherent kind of democracy, an essential mm. democracy about them. Hierarchies tend to be sort of chopped at the knees a little bit, where people come and have a bit. And I've had the pleasure of Kerry's company and Selwyn and the others up involved with, with Cymru Broad in the Penguin. And, you know, it, it, it is a community hub, which yeah. is a term that's getting appropriated now by all forms of the state, as the state tends to want to do. And there's a great phrase, I actually adore this, it's on your website, Dave. I think you should use this a bit more. Maybe you do, and I just haven't heard it. But it talks about the Dusty Forge being the community's living room. Okay. And I, I really, I really, really like that because when I was at the Dusty Forge a couple of weeks ago, there's people there getting some training. There's different forms of training taking place. There were some other people seeking some help on different things. There was people there at a well-being session, having some sort of reflexology, aromatherapy, just having a brew, having a chat. All this. it was the community shop, people coming back and forth, and it was this absolute hive of activity so and, and like teaming with life. If he commune, doesn't it? Well, I suppose it does, but these are... <laughs> it's not. But it, but it, no, no it, 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 it's far from that. But I think where there probably is a parallel with those hippie communes, so, so to speak. Incense burning in the car. Yeah, of course, yeah. Incense, yeah. No, that, 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 that's the penguin. No, what... what I'm coming there. Well, yeah, what you've got is, is a focus on well-being and a kind of what is true and what is valuable and what, what matters to people. Yes. And these spaces allow, people, allow that to kind of surface and to, and to bring to the, 
bring yeah. the bubble a little bit. Yeah, we've got some way to create in a environment that people feel at home in and feel mm-hmm. safe in. Mm-hmm. You know, and the culture is interesting. It's a bit uncomfortable sometimes. It's quite a lot of I hate this word. There's a bit of banter, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's that kind of culture of of um, having a bit of laugh with each other and taking a mick a bit. But within that what that does is creates an environment where people actually talk quite openly about yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. So people don't have to be ashamed about the fact that they haven't been able to come out of the house for the last year with depression because actually quite a lot of people there have had the same thing yeah, and they'll very yeah, quickly yeah. find people who understand their story and value them. And, you know, it sounds like it's... We have, we have all sorts of challenges associated with this, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing is, you know, what kind of... We're trying to... On the one hand, you're trying to run some sort of social enterprises that need to at least have some semblance of professionality like our training delivery is an important part of how we generate income and we, we train people in construction industry skills and we're registered to do the invigilation and all that sort of that's quite a formal service that you're providing and again we try and do that in quite a different way so we, we support people more than they would get other formal providers and we have a slightly more informal culture but nevertheless quite a formal service you're providing and at the same time, you're operating as this kind of drop-in where people just come in and some, someone will fall asleep on the sofa with their feet up all over the city. You know, so there's uncomfortable questions about, is that appropriate? How does that look to people coming from the outside? There's all sorts of questions it raises about tensions between the way you want to come across and what you actually want to present to the world. Sometimes you need to maybe you feel like you should be coming across a bit more professional. Mm. And yeah, that's kind of what makes us different from, yeah, yeah, from, yeah. from the, other, yeah, yeah. the other services in the area. We're not a service delivery agency primarily. We're a relational group of people mm. trying to do something. I think we're quite different. I don't think we see ourselves as service providers, despite the fact, I guess, some of what we do fits that more sort of service delivery model. But it's the externalities, isn't it, that the state and, and aspects of the state, or even the third sector, other forms of civil society, bring to you by commissioning services, yeah. contracts. There's this pressure always towards um, form, more, more sort of formality, more bureaucracy, more... Yeah. And you're on, always trying to push against that mm-hmm. and, and keep relationships at the heart of it. So a really good example is some of the most important work we do is around community support, so supporting people who have real crises as a result of poverty, food poverty, fuel poverty. And we do some really practical... Um, work in supporting people in those situations and, and that's staff-led and volunteer-led but actually all the time we're asking questions about how can we even reframe that conversation with people to to all right there's things that we might be able to help with um, immediately that will make life better for you but what do you have to contribute we're always trying to open that conversation of actually mm-hmm. we're not primarily about a group of people sat here who fix other people's problems over here yeah. we're trying to totally subvert that model completely and and say, so, all right, we, we help each other with, with our challenges and problems, but actually you have something to contribute as well. Yeah. And that's quite exactly. a, potentially quite a difficult conversation to have, but we're always looking for ways to sort of open that up as an organisation. Is there anything you want to plug? Social media, any kind of campaigns, events, activities coming up? Just check out maybe Company Brawn, Facebook and Twitter, and maybe Broadcast Fistinog. And Dave, we need to arrange, because we've always said that you're going to come up sometime, so yeah, we yeah we're going to have to do that in the new year sometime, yeah? It'd be yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so we'd love to do that. Maybe yeah. share, share some ideas again. Yeah, that'd be great. For us, just visit the ACE website, www.aceplace.org. We're on Facebook, so ACE Action in Cairo and Ely. We're currently moving over all our... We had a community's first Facebook page, which we're finally trying to migrate everyone over to ACE Action in Cairo and Ely. Feel free to get in contact. We quite often host visits and things and show people around and introduce people to some of our friends and family. I so, can testify to the warm welcome and reception you get in both communities. Yeah. I think the exchange would be, would be great. Kerry, you're, I know you're up and down the A470 all the time, back and forth to Cardiff, talking at different events and things and showcasing your work. I think it would be great maybe to catch up in a year's time or whatever the timetable needs to be to see what sort of agency, what sort of action has actually happened elsewhere off the back yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You'll come back to 
company draws about 12 months old, really, with regards to the new kind of work we're doing. So, so yeah, in a year's time, yeah, it'd be great to get back together and, and see where we're at. Thank you once again, Dilkhaval Kerry. Um, it'd be great to, to visit the Penguin again to see if I can find a, an excuse to, to get up there again. Really grateful for your time and um, keep fighting the good fight. Thanks, Russell. Super. Thanks, Take care. Dilkhaval. Bye. Bye. Bye.